And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. And here we go. Another busy, busy, busy broadcast week. Looking forward to a lot of the conversations that we're going to have this week. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. We see Cam and Keely Chow in the chat. And we are live. To, uh, broadcasting to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. We tried the locals thing, but uh, it doesn't like our camera feed, and it's only limited to 30 minutes, so we're not going to be broadcasting to locals. And we do have a Rumble channel, but we're not broadcasting over there because it costs money to do it. So, there we are. Uh, <coughs> one of those things, right? Uh, we are also available in podcast form on a number of platforms. If you care to uh, listen instead of watch, uh, we're happy for you to do that as well. We're available on a number of platforms, like I said, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. And uh, I did get in touch with iHeart. They have updated the feed. Apparently, sometime back in September, it stopped feeding to iHeart, but that's been corrected now. We're available in Spotify and Stitcher and various different places there. Uh, lots of things going on uh, this week. Uh, today is the 30th anniversary of Star Trek VI. If that doesn't make you feel old. <clears throat> uh, Cam, Cam asks me if I'm having a fight with my barber. Funny you should mention that. <laughs> Uh, we might we might get into that a little bit, maybe I don't know. But uh, in what we actually are going to get into is a number of different things related to finance, and uh, it is the first Monday of the month, so it is our money talk time. And uh, joining me as they always do, Dan Danford and Matthew Stevens. They are both financial uh, consultants and uh, investment advisors and such. So uh, they are here. We've got a lot on the list, but we're going to take a few of them. We're going to see what happens. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, it's all good. And and I think the technology might be cooperating with us. I don't know. We had a couple of bugs that that had us going a little bit uh, ahead ahead of time. So uh, one of these days. One of these days, right? It's a Monday. It is a Monday. It is a Monday. So, okay. So we've got here. Uh, I've got a new tool that I need to. I need to see if I can get this thing working here, because speaking of gadgets and wizardry and and whatnot, um, hopefully it's going to work. Uh, where we're going to be able to have. The chat show up. Yay. There it is. Look at that. I see it. Yeah. Uh, Mindy says, Mom took me out of school to see Star Trek VI. <laughs> Cam says, remember seeing it in the theater? We had, uh, I, I had a, a real quick story I can tell. In um, college, 30 years ago. Wow. Wow. 
So when I was in college the first time, I was at the University of North Texas, and Star Trek VI came out, and I had a friend of mine in the film in the film class that we were taking who was a manager at an AMC theater. And there was a small group of us that went after hours, and we sat, and there were, I think, maybe about six of us had a private screening of Star Trek VI. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was like, oh, hey, we, get, we can come in here and just do whatever. And... Uh, he handed me a, a, a reel, a 35-millimeter a, a reel. And it was the first trailer for Star Trek VI. So somewhere in, <laughs> in all of the boxes and bags and totes and wherever it is, I have no idea where it is. I've come across it a couple of times. And said, oh, here it is. I still have a 35 millimeter print of the first trailer for Star Trek Six, so I'm I'm I I think I know where it is. So yes, and yes, uh, Mindy is right. It is it is the movie that we use to test the surround sound uh, on the laser disc because the when Praxis explodes, you know the big shockwave <laughs> goes through it. It goes very nicely in through the surround sound from one speakers to the next to the next. So it's it's a, a lot of fun there. So, all right. I didn't mention on the top of the show that we have a number of social media accounts. We have a lot of social media accounts. And one of them in particular is uh, our, our beginning topic for the day because... This is kind of an end of an era here. Jack Dorsey... Stepping down as CEO of Twitter last Monday, and he's posted a resignation letter and all of this. I'm absolutely positive certain that it doesn't have anything to do, timing-wise, with the beginning of the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell. That's pure coincidence, I'm sure. <clears throat> But this is kind of a big deal. I mean, all kidding aside, this is this is kind of a big a big deal in in not only in social media but in corporate America, where you have you know I mean Jack Dorsey has been Twitter. Oh yeah, he's he's the the face of it, um, beard and all, and he has come out in past. Uh, interviews and testimony confirming that Twitter generally tends to lean left, and he's he's made some statements over the years that people sit there and go, aha, liberal bias. But now we've got this new guy, Parag Agrawal, who is the new CEO of Twitter, who has on his Twitter timeline, several posts that are uh, anti-free speech, anti-First Amendment. He's had some some racist comments that he's shared on on his account. They don't seem to have been deleted. And the day after he's announced, we get this new thing that Twitter is not going to let you post anything that's got photos of video of anybody without their permission. And it seems tied to you know, we we can't we can't show you testimony. We can't show you eyewitness accounts. We can't, you know, we can't give you video of. I mean, this is going to be a thing that a lot of people point to that says Twitter is going to start censoring much more heavily now. Is that 
is that a legitimate concern do you think guys and i think you're pretty much right about the trial that's going on with maxwell that, that uh, they want that thing buried uh, just like they did epstein maybe in a little more subtle fashion yeah so i i don't know if his resignation had much to do with it i would think he would be top of the list of people that wanted to keep it quiet but not that he was ever on the uh, travel log but yeah yeah I, I and i think um as we've seen with a lot of the congressional testimony and things like that uh, he's not exactly relatable um so you know <laughs> when you call up the ceo and you put him in front of congress and you start shooting questions at him you know the the more unusual that person is uh probably the less empathy they engender from the questioners and stuff <laughs> and uh yeah i my guess is that uh, at least part of this may have to do with the fact that the uh the the guy who is basically serving as his number 2 and is now the number 1 is probably uh, more socially adept um and probably will do a better job in front of that kind of questioning and stuff than uh, the very eccentric jack dorsey that's my guess and it yeah, seemed, he was very very poor on camera i thought yeah and it seemed like the longer he was out there in in the public eye the more eccentric he got because it was just it's one of those things where it doesn't feel like uh he was quite in touch with, I don't want to say with reality, but I mean, as the that beard, may be right. as the beard <laughs> gets longer, the the eccentricities uh, start to start to flourish. And this is this is cause for concern. But but Dan, to your point about the new guy being more socially adept, um, how important is that? in the overall context of what kind of policies he might push to put into place? Uh, uh, well, clearly the policies that he's pushing to put into place are uh, somewhat radical based on the way things have been in the past. Yeah. But I think the more important question for companies like Twitter and, uh, and Facebook um, is, you know, the potential regulatory environment. Um, there are a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, actually, who have been very concerned about the power that these companies have. Yeah. And um, that's just going to increase, I think, as we go forward, um, you know, politically and stuff. And it's going to be more and more important that you have, you know, somebody who's somewhat sympathetic and empathetic representing the company. And I just think that that horse was out of the barn with Dorsey. I, I just think. You know, whereas uh, Zuckerberg um, may be weird and may have uh, a lot of money, which allows him to behave however he wants, right. he's at least looks somewhat normal and and behaves somewhat normally. And I'm not sure that was the case at all with Jack Dorsey. I like a lighthouse keeper. <laughs> Something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would tend to agree. Now, I'm I'm looking here at the at the one month uh, track for Twitter stock. And we've got a bounce here from the right. weekend, you know, the, the lowest point here in the month, 4207 a share on December 3rd. And now we're back here on the 6th up to 4433. But 
This thing, since November 15th, this stock has just continued to, I don't, is plummet a good word? I mean, this is this is a downturn, certainly. It's not sharply defined like we're falling off a cliff, um, like Litecoin, uh, for example, because Litecoin fell off a cliff last week. We'll, we'll talk, talk about that here in a second. But it starts to, it starts to bounce back. What do you think is the long term uh, for Twitter stock now that we've got this seemingly racist, anti-First Amendment, anti-free speech CEO? I mean, he he's he's been more blatant about it on his account than Jack was. See, the stock made its high in October. Well, it, since not its high, but since October twentieth, it's pretty much come down nonstop until this last little bump. Yeah. So that could be another reason why they're getting rid of Dorsey. Just maybe they're seeing other problems. But as far as the power that they have to censor, I mean, they, they're going to do whatever the government has wanted them in the past. And they right. probably continue to do so in the future, which is was not really addressed in our Constitution. All you know, it's funny. It's funny you should mention that though, because it does feel like every now and again there's a, a small sliver of of light at the end of the tunnel. Because you've got Chris Cuomo getting fired from CNN, you have a new CEO at Disney, a uh, new chairman of the board at Disney, um, Susan Susan Pat. What was her name? Susan something. Susan Susan Arnold, who's replacing Bob Iger starting in January. <laughs> And occasionally it feels like these companies, because we've talked about the whole woke politics and pandering to various different political groups and marginalized identity groups and whatnot. Every now and again, you get this little little bit that that makes you think, well, maybe they're starting to turn that around. Maybe they're starting to realize that that's a bad position to be in. And Twitter gets rid of Jack Dorsey and puts this guy in place. I don't think Twitter's gotten the message yet. I mean, all we want is an edit button, right? And not one that costs $3 or however much it costs. We want a free one. I, I just think, you know, and part of it is, you know, one of the things that's a little surprising is, you know, Twitter, with with all of its power as a media source, um, is is actually valued way less than most of the other players here. I mm-hmm. mean, Facebook is worth a lot more than uh, than uh, Twitter, and, and so I think part of what you're seeing maybe is just sort of the the evolution that takes place with entrepreneurship. Not uncommon at all for the people who start the company to not be the people who manage it for long-term success. Right. Um, Mm. And some of those eccentricities that, you know, we look at and scratch our head may be in fact, why the company has done so well so far, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do as well going forward. And it sounds like what uh, he has decided and his board has decided is that this next guy has a better chance of taking them forward than he did. Uh, You know, despite the political views i you know i don't even know too awful much what to say about that except that they clearly think he's a better businessman than jack dorsey was 
Well, time will tell. And of course, right. uh, you know, you've got uh, various different people are looking at this and, and, and wondering, like you are, what, what this is going to do for Twitter. And then over on YouTube, we've got the decision that they're going to disable the dislike count, uh, maybe to protect uh, projects like this. This is the tra- this is the Red Band trailer for Santa Inc., starring Seth Rogen and uh, and uh, I don't even remember Sarah Silverman. And we've got a little bit of a hack here to let us still see the dislike count, but you can see here 153,000 dislikes to 3,700 likes on this thing. It is the poorest rated anything on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's sitting at 3% audience score. Uh, but YouTube has decided you can, you can see the dislike button, and you can push the dislike button, but we're not going to show you how many people gonna, have done that. We're not going to. They're going to count it themselves, but they aren't going to broadcast it to everyone else. Right. Yeah. Which, to me, feels like uh, you know, circling the wagons a little bit. I mean, we, we got a little bit of the change in the algorithm when Captain Marvel came out. And we've had uh, the various different critiques of you know, Susan... Uh, uh, what's no, no, uh, uh, YouTube Susan Wojcicki? No, that can't be right. I don't remember. It's the president of YouTube, whoever is in charge there. Oh, yes, yeah. And you know, she's done some different interviews, and we've, we've seen the you know, the Facebook whistleblower that comes out, and and everybody is is geared and ready for the next round of censorship to start hitting various different channels. It, and it's, you know, we go back to that whole, you know, every now and again you see that little sliver of hope, but then also you see these little pieces of darkness that show up. You know, we're not, we're going to protect the big media accounts, seems like. It, it really does feel like they're they're pushing to... Uh, restrict what you know about what other people think about the thing. I guess I guess is a way to say it. I don't know. Well, I'm sure uh, they can. I assume YouTube, you can pay to have your video or your trailer bumped up. To, can't you to get more views on it? You know, that's it. a that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I know Facebook does that, you know, the whole, you know, promote your post and whatnot. Twitter, I don't know if Twitter does that or not, but you can, you can do it on Facebook. I don't know if YouTube lets you pay for better positioning in your recommendations or not. They might. I'm, I'm not aware of that. If they do, if anybody else knows, you can let us know. But um, no, advertising. It wouldn't surprise me. And of course. Facebook doesn't have a dislike button or right. at least one that's that's active <laughs> now. And uh, Facebook, if anything, is very aware of the psychology of all this. Yeah. So if they don't have one that they they probably have have, you know, in their little world of research or whatever, determined that that the like button is somehow more powerful psychologically than the dislike one, sure. which seems to conflict with everything else that we know. But um, you know, they're probably right. 
Although they do have, be, yeah. they do have the the angry emoji. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, and I think that that's gets used a lot. That's relatively recent, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but uh, you would think that the potential to get all those dislikes might deter some people from using YouTube. But it's still and engagement, course, though. I mean, no, I know. Still, I get it. I get yeah. it. But if you're Seth Rogen. You can't be very happy with that, right? Right. So right. somehow he oh, had to make a decision to he, put it up there. He and, went on this. He went on this uh, multiple post Twitter rant about white supremacists not liking well, his. Uh, I mean, the only people that are complaining are white supremacists and racists. I'm like, really? That's your go-to. <laughs> everybody who disagrees with me is Hitler. I mean, is is basically That's... what everybody is doing right now. But, you know, you, we talk about YouTube, we talk about um, uh, the alternate social medias, I mean, MeWe and Minds and Gab and Parler and Getter and, and Locals, all of those things are out there. Uh, you've got Rumble now getting together with uh, Cantor Fitzgerald's Acquisition Corp to go public, I guess, is this, uh, is this next move. Is this a smart thing for them to do? Because a lot of a lot of times I'm seeing people comparing Rumble and Odyssey, and uh, an extension of Odyssey, the precursor to that was Library, and a lot of people seem to be more uh, satisfied with Odyssey than they are with Rumble. And now Rumble is going public. What is this going to do for that platform? Do you think? Well, Rumble. In one year, went from 1.6 million users to 36 million. Mm. Uh, that's pretty significant. Let's see. Oh, and now they're up to 44 million every month. That's so great. they've grown a lot. Um, you know, then are, are they going public to like any more of these tech companies go public to get the founders their that's money true. back? Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going public to raise money to for expansion. So this is a brought out as a spec. So hopefully it will come out as played. But but the, it Rumble has built itself as a platform that's going to use virtually no censorship. So we'll see if that pans out, especially after they go public. That could change everything. Yeah. Well, and Odyssey does the same kind of thing. And and I know that um, you know connecting our Rumble account, our Odyssey account, to our YouTube account, for example. Is not that difficult to do. Uh, our our Rumble account f just feeds from what we do to YouTube, um, but we can't we can't broadcast live to Rumble. Is one of the reasons why we haven't pursued it very much because that's a paid tier, whereas opposed to you know Odyssey, we were in the beta group. We started broadcasting live on Odyssey when it was brand new, and I had a lot of back and forth with their support group saying. Hey, this is what I'm running into. This is what I'm getting. This is how does this work? What are you going to do with this? And it's it's improved the the functionality of it has improved a lot over the last few months since they've since they've launched this thing. And it just feels like Odyssey is a little bit more user friendly. But this with Rumble could this help them become more of a player in the video platform arena? I mean, is this going to give them more resources? to go out and compete against YouTube like everybody wants? You know, we need an alternate to YouTube. I haven't read what the use of funds are. So, but yeah, I'm sure they would love to be 
an alternative to YouTube. So, well, and they do have a more you know a more powerful platform if they have a bunch of money in their pocket. I mean, yeah. that's you, you just don't know if it's going to the founders and they're skidding off someplace. It doesn't really matter. But if it stays in the company in some fashion, then uh, that does at least uh, you know embolden them at least with cash which is a you know a good thing for a company yeah um i i I don't think you can always you know um from a business perspective you know it's not always the most popular things that make the most money you know it's a that i I remember when i would teach uh, at a university level you know we'd always have the the students follow a couple of stocks and stuff, you know, and they'd always choose, you know, Budweiser or Anheuser-Busch and they'd always choose Harley Davidson and a few other Coca-Cola, you know, that are enormously popular products, but that doesn't necessarily make them enormously profitable companies, you know, especially depending on the price you buy. So, um, you know, you can, you can say, you know, for whatever reason, they have decided that going public is in their best interest and we'll just have to see whether that pans out to mean it's better for the company or shareholders or not. Well, and, and you know, Oh, go ahead, Matt. As you get, it's probably not so much a factor as it used to be, but there was a time when companies wanted to have lots of shareholders because if you own stock in the company, you're, you're more likely to buy their product. That's true too. I yeah. can't believe it's going to be real big with, yeah. Uh, tech company like this but maybe but it would create many thousands of new shareholders that might have a bit greater interest in rumble would this um would this affect because a lot of these uh, a lot of these companies are now doing crypto um because i know i know library especially was was doing that you have uh um uh, Odyssey is doing it. You have Minds doing it. Some of these, some of these uh, alternate media platforms are really digging into the cryptocurrency more than anything you know that we see with anybody like like YouTube or or Facebook or anything like that. I mean, Facebook had had their whatever it was for a while, uh, but it it kind of went away. And I know. Um, RJ over at Critical Blast, he makes the joke that every time he in, in invests in a particular crypto, it nosedives. And last week, uh, he posted, "Yes, I did. Uh, I did invest in Litecoin. Why do you ask? Uh, because you have this very sharp decline from, um, oh, you know, 179 all the way down to." Uh, what is that? 156, 100, 136, like straight down in that in that graphic. Is crypto still kind of a weird place to be for for this? Because I I still have not been able to wrap my head around. I understand it to a point, but there are so many different cryptocurrencies out there now. There, we don't have a standard and, and you know all of these different names for for weird little crypto bits or whatnot and everything at some point some things have to have to even out don't they or is this how it's so. going to be I would not think they could handle more than a 
one or two major cryptocurrencies ultimately it just it doesn't make any sense that because your bitcoin has there's a certain number of bitcoins that can be created ever and so that's what gives us its value that it does have a top on it but if it's competing with all of these other smaller ones uh people take them seriously then uh, that loses its value too so i mean I, yeah. on the surface i mean none of it really made any sense to me from the first day but well it's, um, it's uh it. yeah it's highly speculative which is part of the appeal to uh, a lot of these startup companies and stuff i mean even if you go with um uh, tesla you know that they were going to accept bitcoin and stuff in truth there was probably a big chunk of publicity purpose there over and above just the currency issue it's because they wanted to look really uh, hip and uh, <laughs> you know trading in bitcoin or whatever made some sense i i think you know what's going to happen over time is the speculative nature of the Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, but all of the cryptocurrencies um, will diminish over time and their economic value will start taking place. That's what happens when some company issues an IPO and everybody says that's the coolest thing ever and they bid the price way up. And then six months or a year later, you look at it and the price is sort of stabilized somewhere down way low. And it's because the hype has been replaced with actual economic value. And that's what's going to happen. You have, I think it's nearly 20,000 different cryptocurrencies out there. And like Matt says, that's not going to sustain. Yeah. You know, Many of them are going to drop out and go away. The problem for any investor today is we don't know which ones. So it is highly speculative until that actually shakes out. I do think there's a place for crypto or digital currencies in the world. And I think we'll probably see, you know, some dramatic uh, increases in the use as we go forward. But it's probably going to be among 10, 12 or 15 different issuers rather than 20,000 issuers. Yeah. And a lot of those are just going to they're just going to die a natural death. That's what's going to happen. Well, and and the other the other thing that's probably going to have an impact, at least as far as forecasting value for crypto is the death of Mr. Gox, the cryptocurrency trading hamster. Uh, this is an article <laughs> from the BBC, November 26th, uh, reading from the article, uh, the cryptocurrency trading hamster Mr. Gox has died. The rodent who shot to internet fame for his ability to often outperform human investors using a specially built trading cage died on Tuesday. The furry financier's official Twitter account announced the hamster's death to his 18,000 followers. Uh, okay, a hamster uh, doing better than um, than humans investing in crypto. I mean, is this kind of, you know, a thousand monkeys in the in the room That's... with typewriters? Eventually, they come out with Shakespeare, huh? Yeah, there was a pretty famous uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, test uh, many decades ago where they basically put the wall street journal up on the wall the one with the stock quotes and stuff and let monkeys throw darts and uh, picked you know a, a portfolio based on that and that portfolio outperformed everybody else there's been a lot of speculation over the years as to why that was but part of it probably is because 
you know, they're choosing from a universe that includes a lot of little companies and stuff that nobody's ever heard of, nobody ever follows anything like that. Some of those end up hitting home runs, and so it outperforms better than the people who are focusing on the blue chip stocks or whatever. Right. So it, there's some truth to that. Um, but, you know, especially with something like the crypto assets, how are you going to get an information edge that allows you to to outperform others in that realm? There's yeah. just too many choices. Yeah. Keely Chow, rest in peace, Mr. Yeah. Gox. All right. So I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. I, I didn't the only that. fundamental things I think that could change with the cryptos are. Uh, government regulation and they could that could be substantial at some point yeah, yeah. It could, i'm sure the governments of the world could in very short order wipe them all out yeah. i it don't exactly know how kind of surprises but. me that we haven't heard very much about governments i mean every now and again you'll get some kind of a story somewhere about a government getting involved in crypto but as far as a regulatory type of thing we i i haven't run across of course i'm not i'm not in that world a lot where I'm looking at financial articles all day, but it, it just on the face of it, it doesn't seem like governments are, are putting their fingers into that particular pie yet. Or do I have that wrong? No, I, I don't think they have very much. I don't think they really know what to do with it. And it's, it's a way to, it essentially creates currency that they don't have to account for on their balance sheets and someday they could wipe it out. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, one of the appeals of the crypto assets like Bitcoin and stuff is that there is no government governing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. so, so there are people out there who would prefer not to have a central government agency controlling the currency. And, and so I think there will always be some demand for that kind of thing. I do think it'll be regulated. And I do think we'll see a, a, a US dollar digital currency probably within the next few years. But it won't compete directly with those others, partly because it's a U.S. dollar digital currency. They would rather have something that, you know, was controlled by their network, a Bitcoin network, right. than something that's controlled by the government. Yeah. Does does the government controlling that kind of thing uh, give them particular access to the blockchain technology that maybe they shouldn't ought to have? Yeah, I can't say that, you know, it's op open source, uh, uh, you know, uh, programming and stuff anyway, which is how people come in like eth Ethernet and, and create something basically that's on top of the Bitcoin platform mm -hmm. is because they, they, you know, created their own software to do that. So I don't see them having more access than they would have now if they wanted to. But I do think that makes it more mainstream. I mean, I do think that's part where part of the speculation gets wrung out of the system is as big companies and big governments get involved, you know, some of the speculative um, stuff disappears with them and yeah. they become more mainstream. So. All right. Well, we will uh, keep an eye on that because, you know, anytime the government gets involved, it automatically makes things better. Right. <clears throat> Okay. Yeah, that's what that's what President Reagan said. Yes, that's right. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a real quick break. We will be back with okay. more with uh, uh, Dan Danford and Matt Stevens right after this. Don't go anywhere. Stand by. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 
Yeah. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's an interesting question. I think it's a big question. It's a good question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Interesting question <laughs> you're asking. You know, you ask very good questions. <laughs> but you, you ask such a perceptive, it's an excellent question. Now you've put your finger on, <laughs> uh, you've put your finger on exactly the heart of the book here. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with, i uh, get to the right button here, Dan Danford and Matthew Stevens with us. It is our first Monday of the month, we're talking money, and um, interesting, you know, we, we talked about, you know, crypto and people getting involved in crypto and that kind of thing, and of course there's always that... Could that that conspiracy theory that's out there with regard to uh, you know they they don't want us using real money they want they want everybody on the on the digital currencies so they can control you more and while I haven't fully invested in that particular conspiracy theory yet um, there is every now and again an example you know these stores we're not going to take money it's all credit card debit card and then. You run across this. This is a this is an article from the Telegraph about Amazon customers being blocked from using Visa credit cards. And I don't know if this is just in the UK. It seems like it is, but apparently they don't like the big high transaction fees that Visa charges to use uh, to use a credit card. And for those of you who don't know, if if you're using a credit card. Uh, you know, you walk in and you, you know, stick your card in the reader and whatnot. I've had to deal with this myself on, on the provider side of things where every time you run through a credit card on the machine, there's a fee that you have to pay to that particular credit card, whether it's Visa or American Express or uh, MasterCard, MasterCharge, you know, that, I'll date myself there, MasterCharge. So is, is this the beginning of something or is this is this a hiccup i, I would wonder who's going to profit from this i mean i doubt i doubt they're doing it to protect the consumer so i, I assume there's a, a competing card in britain that or they just don't like amazon so because <laughs> uh, the amazon fees are going to go on overseas in most cases but they may not just like that yeah yeah, and they announced it well in advance too, which makes me think it may be a negotiation ploy. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit about the cable services who, you know, want to jack the price on certain cables. And all right. So then for three months, they say, notify your cable guy that you need to, you know, that it makes me wonder since this, I think is supposed to go into effect like January 19th or something. Yes. There's, there's a lot of time there for negotiation between Amazon and Visa and well, consumer demand and stuff. So I, we'll see. I think it's also interesting that Amazon's credit card mm -hmm. is a MasterCard. So it's basically, it's a competition piece here because, you know, we want you to use a MasterCard. We want you to use our MasterCard. Right. Instead of Visa. Where, you know, now you have companies like Costco. They only take Visa. They won't take a MasterCard. Uh, uh, thing. So you have, you know, we ran into that where 
you know, my debit card for a while was a MasterCard debit card, and we had to switch, and the banks, ha you know, started switching over to Visa debit cards because that's what a lot of these companies like Costco and other places were sitting there saying, we're not going to take a MasterCard debit, we're only going to take Visa. What goes into that kind of a, de a, a decision to pick one or the other? Well, it's, you know, it's dollars and cents for the most part. Uh, and I would think that most of them are fairly universal in, in the charges that they charge to merchants. Yeah. But I also think there's a fee schedule. So like, uh, say, a Walmart, maybe. Uh, you know, they have such huge, incredible volume that they're able to go to any of the credit card companies and say, man, if we don't, if you aren't available through us, right, then that's really going to harm your company. So they negotiate these fees down and stuff. Um, you know, I've had merchants before, you know, we use uh, American Express for all our business purchases and stuff. And, you know, as a company, we probably have 15 or 20 American Express cards. But I've run into places that don't take American Express. You know, you go to pay and they say, oh, no, we don't take American Express because they charge too much. Yeah. Kind of yeah. thing. So um, yeah, many, I, I would think it's a negotiation ploy is what I would think. Yeah. Many made the point. Our Amazon is uh, apparently a, our Amazon card is a Visa card. What? Is this where it says here in this article for the for the Telegraph, the the retail giant offers its own credit card, which is operated by MasterCard. Would that be just the back end operations then? Could could does Amazon can if if MasterCard is operating the card, can they also off how how would they be able to offer a Visa card in addition to that? Is this just a UK thing or, or no, are we looking at everything? I don't think so. I think, you know, a lot of uh, they're called affinity cards. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one I'll think of right off the bat is a lot of colleges and universities have their own card. It's a visa card or whatever. Okay. And it, it's just an agreement between them and visa that they get some sort of kickback on the fees that are collected on the use of that card. So I'm sure Amazon does that, but, and, and, you know, probably profits a little more if you use their MasterCard for their purchases, but that doesn't keep them from accepting the other Visa, MasterCards, and American Express cards, uh, too. It's just that that's a little more profitable option for them, probably. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of profitable options, uh, this came up here earlier in the in the month. Viacom CBS selling their studio. So the famed CBS Studios, uh, that that lot where so many different shows have been produced, uh, has been sold. $1.8 billion. And this comes prior to CBS buying back the Netflix distribution rights for Star Trek Discovery. And it's interesting, I was watching, I think it was Midnight's Edge was talking about the the decision that CBS made, Viacom CBS, buying back the rights to Star Trek Discovery so they could put it on Paramount Plus as the network rolls out into various other countries. And of course, now we've got this big kerfuffle about Discovery not being available anywhere, and they had to go and put it on Pluto TV in order to... to address the blowback that they got from pulling it out of Netflix. 
And the speculation was, well, how are they paying for this? How is it that they were able to buy the rights back from Netflix? And now here we've got their, I mean, they've sold their studio for $1.8 billion. Is this an indicator maybe that Viacom CBS is not doing as well as they might like to be in the wake of putting all of the companies all back together again? Are they hurting, do you think? I think that's very possible. But one thing, they sold it for $1.8 billion. They were expecting to get $1.3 billion. So they got a $500 million premium, supposedly. <laughs> so I wonder... Uh, that could be quite an incentive. Yeah, buy a lot of content for that. And and you know a company's job really, uh, especially a, 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 a public company that has shareholders, is all about you know how you deploy assets. You know how you you know it's capital choices all the time. Is my money better spent over here? Or is it better spent over here? And lots of those things pan out over time. So you don't know today somebody clearly made a decision that you know the the two billion dollars that the studios are worth could be better deployed by them someplace else and it may be just exactly what you're talking about you know they may have said hey we don't want to own bricks and mortar anymore we want to move it over here into a distribution network and that's what they do but you know companies make decisions like that all the time and they aren't always because they're in trouble or whatever. It's, sometimes it's just really opportunistic. Right. It's, as that big premium would indicate. It actually. seems to me, though, it, it as we get through, you know, everybody now has to have a streaming channel. You know, we're right. all we're all there. You know, Netflix has got one. You've got Pluto TV. You've got, you know, Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and, and Apple TV and all these different ones. And it almost feels like we're saturating the market very much like cable did. And I'm, I made the prediction a number of years ago that at some point you were going to start seeing streaming services get bundled. And we got a little bit of that with ESPN Plus and Hulu and, and Disney Plus when that first rolled out. But... It, for everybody to go all in on streaming and ignore every other kind of distribution. It kind of feels like, let's put all of our eggs, we'll take all of our eggs out of this one basket and put all of our eggs in this one basket. It just doesn't seem like this is a smart move for everybody to, to get into streaming and nothing else. Well, uh, they said so they're selling studios yet that would involve producing things that cost a lot of money and that when they go bad, people get fired. Right. So it just be a form of risk avoidance or, get, you know, getting further away from it by content. And there are a lot fewer people involved if it sucks. But, and, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, on any of the streaming services, it's content that's going to make the difference. I mean, yeah. it really is. And we just don't know, again, like when you have anything else, a lot of them, you don't know which ones are going to hit and which ones aren't but i also think you know there aren't that many extraordinary business people out there so you get a lot of copycat and it's like the nfl so oh they got a streaming oh we better get one too uh whether that pays out or not we don't know yet yeah how 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 much time do we give it before we know that it's 
actually producing results because we don't have any numbers republi- uh, right. uh, publicly reported. We just have their say-so that it's doing well or not. Right. I mean, Samba TV, you've got some different me- measurement companies that are out there trying to get some kind of an idea, but at best, they're limited uh, by what kind of access they have in various different places. They can, they can guesstimate, they can project a little bit, but we don't have hard, accurate numbers on any of this stuff. Is there, is there a point coming where we're going to have to have more transparency I mean, the advertisers especially, if they're going to do anything with advertisers. But again, with streaming services, you don't have any ads. It's all subscriber-based. I mean, ultimately, the bottom line is the bottom line. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You're going to see some of these doing really well and some not doing well. I would think that subscriber numbers is important. um, but you know, we won't know because we aren't seeing the numbers on the other hand, I, you know, I looked at last week with the, um, on Thanksgiving with the launch of the, uh, the, the Beatles, uh, thing for, you know, six hours, three different days on Disney plus, yeah. I, I would love to see the demographics on that. I have a feeling that there's a huge number of old people who watch <laughs> that on there that had that aren't streaming otherwise. I mean, I, 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 I well, we won't know the numbers, yeah. but I'm just guessing that opens some doors that haven't been opened before. Well, and but Cam, Cam one one three eight says streaming services do have ads like Hulu, and and that is that is a good a good point, and and thank you for for mentioning that because, you know, you have because Hulu has been around a lot longer. And it's also right. a kind of a hybrid because it's owned by a couple of different companies. Okay. I mean, Disney owns right. part of it. Uh, you also have things like the CW has their streaming app, and you get commercials there. Uh, but it it almost seems like the the advertisers are an afterthought at this point because there was a time, and and I was there, you know, working in television when this was the big thing. Your advertising agencies. And your reps, you know, the marketing reps would come in and say, okay, I want to see your numbers for this demographic and this time part and this, all of this. And that drove a lot of the sales side of things where, you know, the performance of a show, if you've got the number one 10 p.m. news in the market, you can charge six hundred dollars for a 30 second spot whereas if you're number three in the market you might be only getting four hundred dollars for a 30 second spot but now we don't have to worry about anybody except the shareholders this becomes less it doesn't become i mean it's not advertiser friendly at this point but it also feels like it's not consumer friendly either because the numbers of the subscribers, well, you know, it's it's swapping out a widget. Somebody somebody unsubscribes, but somebody else is going to subscribe. And at the end of the day, we can look at our shareholders and we can say, look, we have 1.5 million subscribers. We don't care about them, but here's the number. Yeah. Well, that's that's totally true. I you know I, I do think uh, there's a limited number of of eyeballs, and uh, they're all fighting over the same eyeballs. You know, but the other thing I'd say is and I saw a thing uh, many years ago. Was, I think it was Chuck Schwab, actually, who said um, they were talking about all the advertising that goes on for brokerages on TV. And, you know, if you sit and watch, you see those things all night long, every night. 
Yeah. But what Chuck Schwab said was that they're all advertising for the same 15 percent of, 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 of investors, that most investors own mutual funds and pretty common kind of stuff. It's a relatively small number that generate the profitable trades and stuff for these brokerage firms and that they're all fighting over the same 15 percent. I would suggest that there's a chance here on on the streaming and things like that. We aren't even sure who the 15 percent is. I mean, the three of us sitting here today, they may know who the 15 percent is, but we don't know who the 15 percent is. So it's kind of hard for us to know, you know, how the model works or if it works. I remember uh, the TV commercials for EF Hutton. Mm-hmm. Oh, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton right. says, and everybody everybody stops what they're doing. <laughs> and then there was there was the other one from uh, that had uh, John Houseman in it. Yes, um, we make our money the old fashioned way; they earn it. Who was that yeah. for? Who was was that? I'm not sure it wasn't Hutton too, but I'm not positive. I can't about remember that. now. I, I'm drawing a blank, but. Uh, of course, most uh, of those companies are gone now. <laughs> That's the other yeah, thing. The clever right? ones. Um, yeah. It's a different business today. Robert said he was late having lunch. Uh, I take it you already talked about Disney stock reversal, perhaps caused by the new variant and the slowdown in streaming growth. Um, have not talked about that, but it does. You know, I did. Uh, I did pull up the chart here. This is Disney stock over the last month, and it does. It does look like it took a little bit of a dip. Uh, in in the last uh, couple of weeks, it's it's climbing back. Um, of course, now we've got word that well, I guess December first is when we found out that Susan Arnold was going to be the new chair chair of the board, and the money's coming back. I mean, the value of the stock is is ticking up slowly. Um, is that possibly a good uh, a good indicator that they like the 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 announcement of who the new chair is going to be. Things are going to stabilize now that Bob Iger is out. Yeah, uh, I, yeah maybe. Yeah, <laughs> probably too soon to tell. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah. Yeah, the chart looks amazingly similar to some of the other. That's what I was so interesting. So, so one of the things that I learned way back when, I don't know if it's still true, but but Matt probably knows, is that, you know, most of the movement of a particular stock has to do with what the stock market as a whole is doing. Mm-hmm. And then the next chunk is how that sector is doing. And really, the third chunk is how that company is doing. Gotcha. So when you look at some of these charts and say, well, they've fallen off over the last couple of months, but now they're starting to turn back up again. Well, that I'm not sure that's really an indicator of the individual company, because that's pretty much what the stock market's done over the last four or six weeks. Gotcha. So, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 I don't rule anything out, <laughs> but I'm just cautious in interpreting things, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that's it does look pretty similar to the. S and P chart just yeah. comparing it side by side. And well, and and better. as regards uh, Disney in particular and Lucasfilm especially, uh, we're actually going to be talking about that tomorrow. Uh, Cameron Pasha and Judah Inglemeyer will be here tomorrow. Uh, Cameron, writer, producer, Judah Inglemeyer, a PR executive and expert who gets asked about this stuff a lot. So we're going to be looking at the Hollywood politics. And the PR spin of both what's going on at Lucasfilm and then, in a broader sense, what Susan Arnold's uh, ascension to the chair uh, might mean for 
for Lucasfilm as well. We'll be talking a little bit about the Kathleen Kennedy thing and everything else. So it's always it's always fun to be had at Lucasfilm's expense, right? <laughs> uh what a deal. What a deal. What a deal. So, uh, okay, so we're, we are at our hour. I do also want to mention coming up tonight, uh, let, me get the, let me get the card loaded. Uh, we have a new H2O podcast. Uh, we're talking about the art of created languages. So Elvish, Klingon, Vulcan, various different languages that are completely made up. We might even talk about Esperanto a little bit, maybe. So, so uh, that is coming up tonight. And, uh, yeah, there's Keely Chow saying hail to Cameron Pasha. He will be here tomorrow. Uh, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. We'll be able to talk about that tomorrow. So uh, that's, I think, going to wrap up today uh, on various different topics. And uh, I want to thank Dan Denford and Matthew Stevens. How do people get a hold of you for financial advice which we're just talking about do this disclaimer you know this is not official financial advice for anybody so uh how do how do people find you guys oh you can just track me down on facebook i don't really do retail but uh not in the usual sense but uh yeah oh this is kind of off the books same with me. Uh, we do have a website, Family Investment Center. But if you want to read uh, some of the books that I've written, you can get those on Amazon. It's Dan Danford. Real easy to find. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much. And we will uh, do this all again in a month. And I actually thought about maybe um, uh, maybe building a brand new opening title sequence just Ooh. for money talk. So I might, uh, I might do something like that. I know we're going to have some fun. Be, and next month it'll be the new year. So it will be fun too. Yeah, yeah. We'll just time that out. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Don't forget. We've got uh, a comments that you can leave. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com and send us your feedback. If you have topics or questions that you want to send our way, or if you have uh, recommendations for people to invite as guests, uh, or if you have uh, a book to review, or if you've got a movie that you want to send us, a DVD, and, and have us take a look at it, we've got all of those things. And here's everywhere you can find us here on the web. So our mailing address is there. The tip jar is there if you uh, are so inclined to throw us a coin or two. The newsletter sign up, all of the video platforms, all the social media, all of that stuff. We do way too much of that, I think. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, I leave you with this quote from Mark Twain. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.